Sport from RTHK. English Poetry Competition is back and the theme this year is white. If you're feeling creative and poetic, then send us your poem of 400 words or less to poetry at rthk.hk by the 12th of July. You can also win some great prizes and have your winning piece read on air. The deadline is the 12th of July. For more information, you can visit our Radio 3 homepage or go to our Facebook page, RTHK Radio 3 Hong Kong. Don't forget, the deadline is the 12th of July. Give everybody some breathing room. We will still face the sentence. These assemblies will be exposed. 6.30 weekday mornings, Hong Kong Today. The informed way to start the day. Ensure that the election is a fair election. In fact, it is quite complicated. Local and international news throughout the morning. Plus the latest in sports, business and daily topical guest interviews. I have been a very, very busy person. Hong Kong Today, 6.30 Monday to Friday mornings on RTHK Radio 3. Good morning and welcome to our Saturday look back at The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai, and it's great to be here with you today. This morning, I'm going to replace some interesting and thought-provoking things from the past week here on Radio 3. Today, we have a program for women entrepreneurs to kickstart their careers and World Record Store Day. Air pollution has always been a serious problem in Hong Kong, and according to the SAR government, Vehicles, marine vessels, and power plants are the main causes of the problem. Sometimes on a bad day, you can't see anything outside your window but smog. However, in recent years, numbers have shown significant improvement in air quality as people are staying at home due to the pandemic. On Tuesday's Backchat, Patrick Fung, the CEO of Clean Air Network, spoke to Hugh Triverton and Ada Wong about ways that might help make our air a little bit more cleaner. Um, yes, indeed, uh, it's correct. I think uh, since the beginning of uh, the COVID, we've experienced a uh, lower vehicular traffic, and especially in urban areas, uh, we experience a improvement of air quality, um, despite the fact that we are still um, way above, uh, I mean, worse than the WHO uh, recommended safe level. But indeed, uh, and over the past few years, we have an improvement of air quality, uh, for around 30%. So there's a, a significant improvement. When you say an improvement of 30%, 30% of what? Reduction in, in what? Uh, there's an improvement uh, in terms of, for example, uh, particular matter and the nitrogen dioxide uh, at the roadside and at the ambient level. And uh, we're talking about uh, the annual um, concentration. And this situation happened in most um, stations in Hong Kong. Uh, we're talking also on, uh, from 2013 to 2020. So over the last seven years, we do see a improvement uh, of air quality in general. But um, the experience we have uh, over the weekend, um, we, still, we are still experiencing that. Uh, I think there are a, a dozen of uh, occasions uh, like that uh, throughout a year, and 
each occasion it lasts for uh, typically uh, 48 hours to 72 uh, hours. Uh, what's behind that improvement then that you mentioned in uh, you know particulates and, and and roadside reading? Is it, is it better engines? Is it just to do with the quality of uh, the motors on the streets? Uh, yes, indeed. So there are emission control measures conducted by the government, for example, to phase out the commercial diesel vehicles. Those are the trucks and lorries, and uh, we have a scheme to uh, gradually um, phase out the um, old. Uh, franchise was as well. And then on the shipping emission side, uh, Hong Kong is the first uh, Asian city uh, to mandate fuels which at birth, so switch to cleaner fuel when they're at birth and in Hong Kong water. So these are the uh, policy measures we see, uh, which was good uh, to reduce um, air pollution level in Hong Kong. But uh, again, there are a lot more to do uh, in order to achieve uh, some of the uh, recommendations uh, by the WHO, we are still 60% to 75%. Um, there's still a gap of um, uh, 60 to 75%, depends on different air pollutants uh, from now to the WHO recommended safe level. So what, what else could we do? Um, you know, what, what are the contributing factors uh, to air pollution? Is it really because of uh, roadside traffic and uh, mm -hmm. in urban areas, or is it, um, you know, in the wider context, um, you know, the pollutants are actually coming from the Pearl River Delta, which we can't really mm -hmm. do anything about? Um, yeah, a couple of factors. Uh, urban area mainly contributed by the... Um, vehicular traffic, so the strategy has to be uh, deviate from uh, diesel um, engines or IZE uh, vehicles. So we are talking about uh, zero emission mode, including electric uh, or hydrogen or other technology modes. And then, um, as mentioned, ship emission is one is another key factor. So we are looking at uh, ocean-going vessel, river vessel that travel from Hong Kong to PRD, and local vessel. We have to switch to uh, cleaner vessels as well. And then for regional, uh, we do have a problem of ozone. As we experienced over the weekend, the ozone concentration is really high, and the scientists are working on uh, identifying the sources of uh, the ozone. But having said that, I think um, what we right now need is a um, strong policy vision that could lead us um, to a five-year or ten-year goal uh, to reduce air pollution. And we have learned from EPD that uh, EPD is going to launch a new um, clean air plan. And that is something that I think the general public and all sectors uh, should contribute on ideas and thoughts on how to um, clean up the air quicker and what's the responsibility of uh, individual sector to help with these uh, process. You know, we did, we did have those targets, didn't we, for, for reduction? To, uh, to get closer to the WHO uh, guidelines. Uh, how are we doing on those? Um, the target was set back in 2013 and expired at 2020. So uh, the target, uh, put it very simple terms, is that uh, the ambient air pollution of Hong Kong uh, would achieve Hong Kong's air quality objective. So, uh, and in very long term, uh, we are uh, trying to achieve the WHO recommended safe level. But still, as mentioned, we are still uh, at least 60% uh, behind uh, the WHO standard. But anything after 2020, we have to wait for the new cleaner plan from the government. So this is something that we are very anxious. Uh, we worry that the government is setting a relatively lax goal. 
and uh, we understand the government is trying to uh, achieve the decommunization goal um, um, by, 20, by 2050. That is a really, really long-term goal. But in, in between, we ask for um, in the immediate uh, milestone target uh, to hit so that we could um, um, keep the um, government accountable for this. That was Patrick Fong, the CEO of Clean Air Network, speaking on Tuesday's Back Chat. A day later, on Morning Brew, Phil Whelan caught up with a man who holds 15 Guinness World Records. And in the coming months, while rowing solo from Crescent City in the USA to Hong Kong, we'll very likely pick up some more. Turkish rower Erdan Iruç is not only superhuman at the age of 59, but he's also raising awareness about the state of the world seas. The first obvious question was, when are you off? I am guessing that the departure is going to be about 19, 20 June, that weekend, or the week of the 21st. So when you say like a clear spell, what do you mean? Are we talking weather currents, what? Weather, uh, winds mostly. <clears throat> As the land heats up in June, yeah. the ocean is cold and the California shores. It creates onshore winds, so I need to have this wind quiet down a little bit. And since I have this cape uh, about 80 miles south of my launch point, right. uh, the winds tend to get stronger right around that cape also. So I need that break to clear that cape, and then I'm in uh, clear water. Right. How much can you rely on your sailors, your rowers' instinct here? And obviously, how much of it is going to be science? Well, uh, I am taking advantage of science by looking at all the forecasts and, and that are being provided to us. Mm. And I am looking at the currents also. Uh, and uh, when I see the break in the winds, I will say, okay, and now it's time to um, get going. <laughs> apply some sweat equity into this and get out of here. Yeah. Uh, Can you just give us some figures here? So the total distance and a, f a few interesting stats that you've obviously planned out totally. Absolutely. Uh, it is World Ocean Day and I will be getting on the Pacific Ocean now. I will launch from Crescent City and probably by early September, I will pass by Hawaii. Mm hmm. And then I will pace myself so I pass the longitude of uh, the Marianas, Saipan and such, uh, in Jan early January. Right. And then it will be all-out effort from there until I pass the Luzon Strait. The total distance we guess to Hong Kong is going to be about 7,400 miles yeah. or, just or just about 8,000 maybe. Yeah, okay then. So when you're actually living your day-to-day -day life out there, how do you plan that out as much as possible in terms of how much work versus how much rest? <clears throat> My typical day is uh, rest at night because I will be in the tropics and it'll be very hot in the cabin during the day. Mm -hmm. So I rest at night and... Uh, I wake up with daybreak and uh, have my breakfast and uh, I'm typically rowing as the sun is rising and uh, it gets broken by uh, messages here, email there and then have a snack, uh, have a coffee, keep going. Uh, lunchtime comes around around 1, 2 o'clock. Okay. By the time sunset comes at 7 or so, uh, I hang up my oars and turn to the horizon and look at the sunset to catch green flash. Sounds lovely. I have, I have only been able to spot that thing 
oh, maybe three, four times, and only once during my ocean rowing career until now. What about getting supplies, stopping off, whatever you have to do? I know you're going to take load uh, loads with you, but... I will take all the loads with me, and right now I'm scratching my head about how I'm going to fit everything on this boat. <laughs> it's a long crossing. I have been on the water before 312 days on my road to Papua New Guinea waters, so I'm not foreign to this uh, concept. Sure, the, sure. the boat will be fairly heavily loaded when I leave. When we first met a few weeks back, I sort of mentioned in passing that you have quite a few Guinness records, and I never asked you what they were. <laughs> Would you mind? <laughs> Well, I have. I now hold 15 Guinness World Records. I am the first person to have completed a solo circumnavigation by human power. I also hold the fastest circumnavigation by human power. Okay. Um, five years, 11 days. And um, I am the first person to have rowed the three oceans. Uh, I have the longest distance row down the Atlantic Ocean when I rode from Namibia to Venezuela. Uh, non-stop 154 days i think it was uh first person to have rode mainland to mainland uh with a one stop over in madagascar across the indian ocean from yep. australia to mainland africa yeah um yeah the, uh, oh 844 days career total uh as a solo ocean rower and when i launch from crescent city i will break that record every day day after day until hong kong so it's going to be a wonderful uh <laughs> <laughs> to wake up to this every day. I think you've done everything, but is there something that eludes you by any chance? I think peace of mind. Yeah, uh, you won't get a record for that. Maybe the I, Beatles or something. <laughs> I need to get on this ocean, get it done. Until it's done, it's going to bug me. Bon voyage to solo rower Erdan Erruj, who was chatting with Phil Whelan a few days ago on Morning Brew. You can find out much more about his journey and mission by checking out the website of Ocean Recovery Alliance, his Hong Kong partners. Starting a new business is challenging, and it can be even more challenging if you're female. According to a report by the Hong Kong Institute of Chartered Secretaries, only one in seven directors are female among Hong Kong's 50 Hang Seng Index companies. On Tuesday's Money Talk, Anna Wong, the CEO and co-founder of Female Entrepreneurs Worldwide, spoke to Pierre de Lewis about their latest program, Invest in Women Who Tech, which offers support to female business founders who are looking to expand and grow. Compared to men, okay, so I think definitely uh, women, they need more support in terms of like, uh, you know, um, um, emotional part, because, you know, uh, women, they um, like to share, they like to um, talk about uh, their personal uh, experience and growth, and they also uh, need a mentor, advisor to support their growth. Mm. Comparatively, men from our experience, they tend to um, solve the problem internally, but uh, women like to talk to their friends, a mentor. Mm. So this is the core part, core value we offer to members. So as a member, and you can come to us, we can match you with potential mentors and advisors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there still a lot of stereotyping going on even in this day and age? Because people yeah. tend to think women are supposed to do certain jobs, are good at certain <laughs> things, men are supposed to do other types of jobs. Does that still go on even today in Hong Kong? 
I think Hong Kong is very well developed, and I personally feel really supporting with better as a female founder. And um, and second is uh, I would say it's more the feminine quality or masculine quality in mm. terms of like uh, career development or a business sector. Like uh, even now we see more and more women in tech because you know more and more private sector and government bodies are supporting more female leaders in in the technology industry. So I would say, as the quality or characteristic you have, and you can pick the industry you like. <laughs> mm. And is Hong Kong a good incubator for new ideas, a test bed for new ideas that entrepreneurs have? Yeah, so we really want to see more women in the entrepreneurship mm. and tech sector. And if you see in the region like um, Singapore, Hong Kong, or even certain country in Europe, and, and the government bodies are re really encouraging the local entrepreneurs in the tech sector. Comparatively, comparatively I feel uh, we started here in Hong Kong, and the digital side and also uh, the tech side is still slowly catching up. So this is why we think it's very really important for us as a platform to encourage more women in tech. Mm. This is why we line up a few uh, corporate partners, including uh, one of the populist co-heating in Hong Kong, Apollo, a uh, future mobility company. Uh, and second, uh, InvestHK, the government body, and also um, Swiss Week Group, in, in, uh, you know, the world-leading uh, insurance provider. And we have several corporate partners, they just uh, really kind to support the program and we have a cash grant of million dollars for female funders in tech if they have any financial challenges and with a promising business model and they can come to us to apply the cash grant and is it hard for entrepreneurs particularly post COVID-19 to get funding and particularly is it harder for female entrepreneurs to get funding initially I had that for as well but I realized you know um, quite some of our female funder that managed to get um, fund so I wouldn't say as uh, COVID-19 is an issue but if your project or business model is convincing and promising with a track record I, I do think their investor are always looking for good projects Mm. And how is your investing women who tech program? How is that going? <laughs> it was really good. Like we have four pillars. So first is like commercialization. We really analyze the business model, revenue mm. streams, and help them with their client acquisition strategy because we think ultimately it's not about money, but you know how to solve the problem of a customer and get mm -hmm. a client. And second is business matching because we believe like you need to talk to your client customers. So we bring to Together, those uh, potential buyer, distributor, and even um, CEO level um, to potentially form partnership with those female funders. And third is financing part. Like I mentioned earlier, we have the cash grant, and if they need financial support, they can come to us for an application. And second, we also have them with the government funding and um, investor patch. And we have lined up hundreds of investors who are willing to consider women-led business. That's and great. we also have the publicity, which I think is most important in today's business, and they need to get awareness and recognition in, in the KOL media. Uh, yeah. And has COVID-19 changed a lot for entrepreneurs? How, how are things different now for, for entrepreneurs? 
I think, you know, first of all, we're now working remotely from home. And uh, really interesting, I started to build my team in Manila. So uh, I never see my colleague in Manila, but we have a small uh, operational team there. And we found more and more members came to us for support on the digitalization uh, transformation. So that's why I found uh, it's very good because the cost of operation is much lower and you can reach to a bigger audience in the region. That was Anna Wong speaking to Peter Lewis on Tuesday's Money Talk. Today is World Record Store Day. Yes, actual vinyl. So, on Monday's Morning Brew, James Ross spoke to indie record store owners Sony Yeser Ratnet and Gary Brightman. Record Store was started um, back in 2007 in the US. Hmm. Um, it was an idea to support independent stores, ind independent record stores, and to bring together the artists and the customers on one day a year to promote things. Um, the and first I guess, I guess that day, was, it yeah. was I guess that was because record stores were sort of going down a bit at that point, right? Yeah, I think they obviously saw saw a need for support. Um, you know, uh, the big stores were going down, weren't they? The HMVs mm. and the Virgins and the Towers. So, you know, what chance did the smaller stores have? Um, mm. So, yeah, record store now, you know, encompasses about 1,400 independent stores across the US today. But it's a global thing. So it's in Australia and Europe and, and all over. In mm. Hong Kong, you've got six stores including ours which support record store day what we doing is i don't have a record store day like gary as independents customers come in first time second time they come in um there's a little discount and when they come in more they become regulars and it's yeah. record store day every day mm. you know you congratulate them you know have all the uh um, you know, or fireworks going in this yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's how for us is a record store day. So this week, actually this month, I won't do it for two days, yeah. but it will be uh, fifteen percent off until mm. the end of the end of the end of the uh, month. Mm. I I guess it's about yeah. developing a community around uh, uh, music, isn't it? About, around the records, and that to me, what is is what a lot of indie yeah. record stores do. You know, they they attract regular customers that come in and swap music, talk music, and you know, just just get on with each other right gary is that what happens yeah with you? absolutely you know so at vibe we like to promote and support local bands uh we have bands that come into the shop we do these tiny desk gigs starting a couple of years ago we would facebook live them i would then edit down their their videos and put them on youtube on our channel um so over the years you know we've had the mutineers do a couple of, they're a tong foot band on lantau we've had pete millwood of Celestial playing, we've had Denkwa, we've had Carmen Casa. We even had Mira, the Canto Pop Band, came in the other week. They right. didn't play, they just did their thing. <laughs> right. So customers that come in, I focus on local yeah. customers, um, kids, yeah. 16, 17-year-old, 19, because I believe and we should always never forget that they're the, always the next generation. They're the spark, aren't they? They're, they're the next generation yeah. carry the music. I mean, yeah. the older generation like us, We've already listened to music, so when I put on something, and when you put on something, it's going to resonate. It sounds like something. We are inspired by something, yeah. so most of the bands. But the customers I have are more 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, coming in and asking, Good. what is this? What is that? They don't know, and we, as elders, uh, you know, carry on the flame. What do they want to hear? Oh, they want to, because what the... 16, 18-year-olds now are coming back to listening to um, uh, Slow Dive, listening to Blondie. Oh, wow. Blondie, because the po yeah. post-punk movement has come back. Yes. Yeah. So all these synth pop, dream, you know, um, yeah. your 480s records, yeah. they're all just coming back. And um, 
that's a good thing. So when they come in, I mean, there's some bands that are out there nowadays that are re, how to say, retroing the old days, like Cigarette After Sex. I mean, you and I yes, listen to them. Yeah. We go, okay, they're inspired from the past, and they're bringing back. The other part is the Stoners, mm. uh, psychedelic rock music. It's been taken. You know, you have your Yes, you have your ELPs, yeah. you have your, prog you know, rock. prog rock, and yeah. it's all coming back. It's because maybe because of the new generation like Stephen Wilson, Porcupine Tree, that is influencing the sound to a, this generation. They get the sound, and guess what? They mm. open their doors to Pink Floyd. They open their doors yes. to, you know. And Interesting. That, yeah. that for us, for, for me, this year has been more... Uh, educational. Why I told you I'm a librarian now is because <laughs> I'm a librarian for the music right. within Infree to promote the music as long as I'm alive. Yeah. Thanks to James, Gary, and Sony. And happy Record Store Day to you. And finally, on Thursday's Afternoon Drive, Steve James looked back at the day in music history. And that's where we leave you for this edition of Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. Okay, let's look back in uh, music history this very day, June the 10th, 1956, and it's American singer and actor and all-round loved human being. Pat Boone was at number one on the UK singles chart with I'll Be Home. He scored over 30 UK top 40 singles during the 50s and the early 60s and was the second biggest charting artist behind only Elvis. This day, 1966, The Monkees' first recording sessions took place. Interesting to note, the sessions featured members of the famous Wrecking Crew, a group of top, top studio musicians in Los Angeles, but it all proved unsuccessful. It changed later on. And we're stopping for this day, 1975. The Eagles released their fourth studio album, One of These Nights, which became the Eagles' first number one album on the Billboard charts, and the album produced three very, very well-known singles. One of these nights, Lion Eyes, and my favorite Eagles song, Take It to the Limit.